The following podcast is an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Rochester, Minnesota. You can find out more by visiting harvestrochester.org. We're talking about this unstoppable force that is within us as believers, right? It's the power within the church. And uh, so I've split up Acts, the book of Acts. You can flip over to Acts 1. I've split up Acts into four different series. The first series is the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's just spend some time talking about the power of the Holy Spirit for the next eight weeks and see how that goes, huh? All right? I mean, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit for the next eight weeks and just see what kind of learning and we can come with and, and what kind of application we can uh, go with. And uh, God's going to change our lives, I know, and I pray. Acts chapter 1, the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, Theophilus means lover or friend of God. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. I circled that in my Bible because we're going to be studying the Holy Spirit for the next eight weeks. And the Holy Spirit's a major player in the first few uh, chapters of Acts. So you might want to circle that just to keep it fresh and aware in your mind. Through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, this book is called the Acts of the Apostles, right? Whom he had chosen. Aren't you glad it's not up to us that God chooses and that God has these people and that God used these people, names to follow. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering. How did he suffer, church? Crucifixion, right? I thought more people would know that. How did he suffer, church? Yeah, he went to the cross. Right? He, was, he was beat, bloodied, whipped. The Bible says he was without, without form and void. Uh, okay, what does that look like? I don't even know what that looks like. I, I couldn't tell you. Suffering by many proofs. Okay, so let me just read that for you again. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God, literally the millennium, which is going to come. You know, Jesus is going to reign, right? On the earth for a thousand years. Are you speaking to him about that? That's the intro to the book. But there's a couple of things in there that are really important. 40 days, right? 40 days and uh, many proofs, right? I mean, it's so, that's the only time in the Bible that word is used, proof, right? And it is so clear it would stand up in a court of law that Jesus was alive, right? First Corinthians 15, you could go 500 people saw him. I mean, all of these different times, hands, feet, touch, smell, feel, like whatever you want to do, here, see it, here I am, eating, here I go, you know, like all of it. But the first four words in this book demand that we kind of go somewhere. <laughs> the, in the first book, so what's the first book? Anybody know? Luke, right? Luke wrote Acts. Luke wrote the first book to Theophilus, which is Luke, all right? So let's just go, uh, I'll put it on the screen so you don't have to turn there. Uh, let's just read this real quick from Luke chapter one. This is the intro to Luke, so you can see. Some of you guys might not get that or know that, so you can see it. So here's Luke chapter one. Uh, In as much as many have undertaken uh, to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, how many people? Well, Mark did it, and Matthew did it, and then later John did it, right? So a couple people have done it here now. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all of these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. Luke is so important to us because it writes, this is what Jesus did in chronological order, right? Matthew's thematic. Mark's got a theme. Jesus the servant. John wants to tell you to be saved, <laughs> right? 
But Mark's like, or, or, but Luke is like, excuse me, just the facts in order, please. All right? Here's what happened in this order. This is what it is. An orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus. So again, I told you Theophilus means lover of God. Most excellent is an interesting title because it's used of Roman officials. And so that's a tip to us that this could be, we don't know for sure who Theophilus is, but this could be a high-ranking Roman official who had heard the gospel and was either searching for certainty or was saved and just wanted to have proof of what he believed, right? So he commissioned Luke to write this. That you may have certainty, right? What are we looking for? Certainty. You can be sure of these things, right? Concerning the things that you have been taught. All right, back to Acts. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're in this Bible reading plan, and uh, so I like to give you lots of applications. I realize that sometimes that can be drinking from a fire hose, but this isn't new to you. We've been on this Bible reading plan for some time. We've given the vision back in January that we would want everybody in our church to read the New Testament every year. And so we made this plan. It's really simple. It's kind of check the box, which we're not really into check the box, but it at least helps you to understand where you've been. Because I read different things different days. I want to know if I've been there. That way I can get it done at the end of the year, right? Well, I still have Mark to read. Okay, let's go, right? So I just wrote on here, September 11th, 2016, Luke 1. I'm going to start reading it today. I just ask you to read a chapter a day, right, for 24 days and get through the gospel of Luke, okay, in the rest of this month, right? Can you do that? Gospel of Luke. We're on the plan now, right? Because we need to know what Luke said there about what Jesus did and said, all those things, so that we can understand Acts and what's coming next. It's a sequel, okay? So you, you don't really watch the second movie before you get the first. You don't really read the second book before you, I mean, some of you do, but you shouldn't, all right? And, and so get, let's read Luke together, all right? Let's start today. And they're longer chapters. If you need to break it up, there's no condemnation. You take more than one day on a chapter, whatever time you have, right? Let's just do this so that we understand what we're talking about. Everybody good with that? Application one for today. Write it down in your notes. I'm reading Luke. I'm reading Luke, all right? If you already read that this year, you already checked all those boxes, you already know where we're going. So I guess you can keep reading wherever you haven't been read, reading, right? I mean, that's easy. Okay, here we go. Back to uh, Acts chapter 1, and uh, you know, we have the setup here, and I just want to say a couple things, because we're going to be studying Acts a long time. By God's grace, we're going to know a lot of things by the time we get to Acts chapter 28, right? We're gonna, we're gonna, God's going to work in our life. I have no idea what our church is going to look like at the end of this year. It's going to be great. But you want to know what you're reading, and so I want to set up the book. So here's just a few things by way of information about Luke and Acts. Luke and Acts together make up 25% of the New Testament. That's a major part, right? You put those two together, it, it, it's more, it rivals all of Paul's writings, right? Just think about that, right? Luke wrote a very significant part of the New Testament and is very critical. Uh, each of them cover about 33 years. They're kind of identical that way, all right? They cover first what he did and taught, and then Second, what he didn't taught through the church, right? After he left, through the Holy Spirit and the apostles. This is a good thing that you need to know. It's just the facts. It's just the facts. People always want to ask, well, what's the theme of Luke? What, what is he really saying? I mean, what thread is he weaving through it? And there's some apologetic on that, and, you know, but he's not really, he doesn't have an agenda. He's not really weaving anything through. All he's saying is, here's what happened. So the theme of the book is, what happened? It's the history of the church. This is what happened. Everybody say, it's what happened. I mean, it's just what happened. That's what it is. It's what happened. So there's no real sneaky theme. The author is Luke. We already talked about that. But one thing to note is he's the only Gentile author. It's pretty cool. It's a significant difference. Uh, Acts 16.10, we'll get to that in a few uh, months. Uh, Acts 16.10, uh, he starts to use the word we. 
He starts to say, we did this and we did that. And it's right after Paul was at Troas. Uh, he didn't go up into Bithynia and, and this other place, Mycenae. And the reason is the Holy Spirit didn't let him go those places. And I got to believe God's like, I got something over here in Troas for you. You want to know what it is? Luke. And he's going to write a big part of the New Testament. So get on over there, right? As I'm reading it, I'm just going, that's pretty obvious to me. And he starts to say, we, 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 after he visits Troas, because Luke's writing this and he's with Paul. So that's a very significant thing. Uh, Luke's only mentioned three times in the Bible. It's kind of interesting, right? Uh, By name. And so Colossians chapter uh, uh, four, he's the beloved physician. So we know that he was a physician. That's probably why he's so detailed in his writing. He's a detail guy, right? Physicians are like that, other than in their handwriting, right? Not very, I guess sign it all the time. Let's just get it done, you know? Every other, it's like the prescription they write down, uh, that's a detail thing, right? It's like the right one, please, right? right they're detailed. And, uh, and then in 2 Timothy 4, this is right before Paul is like done, right? Like dead. He says, Luke alone is with me. Just Luke. I mean, Luke is a faithful friend. Luke is a loyal guy. He stays to the end. When everybody else leaves, Luke's like, I'm with you. I'm not leaving. Pretty cool guy. Faithful guy. The content of Acts, uh, it's objective. It's just the facts, right? But just the facts means there's some divisiveness in the church and there's some deception in the church and you're going to get it all. You're going to get behind the scenes, man. Is there a perfect church? No, there is not. If you came here thinking you were going to find it, sorry, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Come to step one. We'd love to meet you, and you'll find out real quick we're not perfect, all right? That'd be great. Let's just get that out of the way today, and then we can move on. Um, You're looking for a solid Bible teaching, good church, right, where you can find community and learn how to grow in your uh, commitment to Christ and in your commitment to the church, his bride. That's what you're looking for, but there's no perfect church. And he shows that with his objective view. He's also very accurate. Many people have set out to disprove the facts of acts and have come up believing. And I love that. There's many stories about that. You can go Google that. Uh, The title I already said, the acts of the apostles. I think you could maybe better say it, the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, right? If you want to add that in, but those things aren't inspired. The word is inspired. The date, the date, you're like, who cares? But, you know, it it is kind of important. The date is 62 AD, right? So I say 62, it could be 60 to 64. I wasn't there, but somewhere in that time period. And and really the events around that is uh, at the end of the book, you read it and you're like, what just happened? I mean, the thing just like we're going full speed and it's like drops off a cliff. The end, right? And Paul was in Rome for two years. The end, (laughs) Uh, all right. Did he get out? Like, is he okay? Like what happened? Are you running for your life or is it going well now? And, uh, we just know it was before 64 AD when Nero went nuts and started burning his own city and killing people like crazy. Right. We know it was before that. And we know it was definitely before, uh, AD 70, right? Because, uh, you know, destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and all that, like it would be before that. So, None of that's mentioned, so we have the 62 AD. Um, some key words, I think this is important for us. You're going to see the word believe and saved and baptized. You're going to see the word gospel and repent. You're going to see the word uh, church and resurrection and persecution. Those are all important, but you're going to see the word even today, Holy Spirit, prayer, and witness. All right, these are key words in the book of Acts. Holy Spirit, pray, and witness. And the key verse we get to cover today is Acts 1.8. All right, so let's just keep reading. How about that? You guys good with that? Keep reading Acts? All right, good. You got the facts? Just the facts. Here we go. Just the facts. Here, here it comes. Verse 4. Is that where we left off? Verse 4? Is anybody like circling their Bible or something? Go, I think he's coming back to this sometime. Okay, verse 4. All right, here we go. Um, and while staying with them... He ordered them, notice that, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I just wrote in my Bible, how many days? I want to know. 
Not many days, but we know the rest of the story. So how many days is it? I want to know. Well, we'll get to that. So when they were come together, I think that's really important to this passage, the togetherness. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I mean, I know we've asked this question a lot, God, but um, you're talking about the Holy Spirit again. And we know from Joel 2 that the Holy Spirit's going to be this like sign before the end times. And that's when you're going to set up your kingdom. And so we're back on that plan because you mentioned the Holy Spirit again. And we're like, our ears are up. Is it now? Is it now? Is it now? And he said to them, take note of this. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. You could find good evidence. I know this is the theological conundrum, but that the second person of the Trinity doesn't even know when the time is, right? He's like, I don't, God's fixed that time. When he's on earth, I'm sure when he went back and he was God, it's like, he knows. Verse eight, key verse, but you will receive power. I circled that in my Bible because that's what we're gonna be talking about all year. Power, literally dynamite. It's like a stick of dynamite. It's like, boom. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses, key word, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Literally, you could write in your Bible there, Rome. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, everybody look up. As he went up, just look up. It's a good visual. Okay, I'll read it for you. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. How long did it take for them to notice? And said, Men of Galilee, well, maybe that's when they noticed. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All right? So they're like this. All right? I think he might come back. He's like showed up a lot of times in the last 40 days. Let's just keep looking. Should we look around? No. Keep your eyes fixed on him. He's important. I mean, like, they're just looking up. And then the angel's like, tut, 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 tut. You know, like, hey, hey, men of Galilee. Interesting. Uh, the 11 men left. His disciples were all from Galilee. Judas wasn't. Men of Galilee. Hey, 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 guys. <laughs> and I know you're not uh, from here. You're not from around here. You're from way up there. But, like, uh, uh, guys, do what he said. Get to work. It's time to go, right? It's an interesting way to wait, but uh, that's what they're telling them to do. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem. They didn't go home to Galilee. From the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. If you know the Old Testament, you know that it was the farthest tent from the tabernacle. That was the journey. 2,000 cubits, about 3,000 uh, 3, feet, right? A little over half a mile, okay? Just fun information. And when they entered, they went up into the upper room, probably where they had the Lord's Supper, definitely where they were staying, because it says where they were staying. <laughs> uh, just read the word. All right. Peter, here's the detail, John and James, the brother of John, and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, doubting Thomas, and Bartholomew, who's also Nathaniel, and Matthew, sometimes called Levi, and James the son of Alphaeus, called James the Younger or James the Lesser, and Simon the Zealot, I think he was zealous, and uh, Judas the son of James, his name is also Thaddeus because we had another Judas before. And verse 14, I've like, highlighted and underlined because I think it's the key verse here, uh, right here for us to apply. All these with one accord, literally, literally one mind, were devoting themselves to prayer. What were they devoting themselves to? Prayer. What were they doing? Pray. I'm not sure I heard you. They were what? Pray. How long did they pray? Continually. Like they were devoting themselves to it, right? Well, we're going to learn about that. I want to know some answers on that. With the women... 
I met Martha today here at her church, and, and you're in there, Martha. Mary, Martha, Mary Magdalene, all these different people. Mary, the uh, husband of Cleopas, um, and you know, possibly the disciples' wives. Um, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, okay, and his brothers. You're like, hold on. Mary didn't have any other kids. She was a virgin. I heard that somewhere. This doesn't make any sense. Um, no, the Bible makes perfectly good sense. And if you look at Mark 6.3, you know that the brothers' names were James, Joseph, uh, Judas, which must have been hard when Judas betrayed Jesus, to have his brother's name be the same, and Simon. So Mary had other kids with Joseph after Jesus. right? So whatever that is, that's gone. All right? All right, just... Just be clear. And eight months before this, in John 7, verse 5, none of his brothers believed in him. Just eight months prior. Just think about that. Then we get to the second section of our uh, reading, and it's kind of interesting. So let me just read it for you and give you a couple insights, and then I'm going to get back to what the application is. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The company of persons was in all about... What? 120. Why is that important? Crickets. I didn't know why this was important either until I read commentaries. Hey, thanks for paying me. I did my job. All right. So 120 people because in the Jewish culture, you're not recognized as a quorum or a forum or a new thing, an entity, a new city had to have 120 people. We're going to be a city. 120 people, please. And we got leaders. How many leaders should there be? 12, <laughs> right? Imagine that. There's 12 leaders of 10. Hmm, that's biblical. Like, so this is all kind of Jewish culture stuff. 120 people is important. You're going to know why I'm making a big deal about it in a few minutes. And said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand if you just write down in your margin, 2 Peter 1.21, which says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke at, from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how we got our Bible. And, you know, these guys hadn't gotten the Holy Spirit yet. They were waiting for him, right? But, but, but hold on, if you read Luke and you read John, the end, God had already breathed on them the Holy Spirit once, right? So, I mean, it's not like they hadn't been touched by the Holy Spirit. It's not like they didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. They just hadn't been like gripped in a way that they're going to get gripped in chapter two by the Holy Spirit, right? And, and, and so I'm, I'm not, they had the Holy Spirit and obviously they knew what the Holy Spirit was doing because he said, the Holy Spirit spoke through David. How do you know that, Peter? How do you know that, Peter? What, what, what told you that? Uh, God, Right. God told me that. Well, where did he tell you that? I would just like to flip over to Luke 24 and just, just read this for you quickly. Then he said to them, Jesus, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you at everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures Part of that must have been saying, hey, hey, like I wrote this book through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. This is the gospel. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Go be witnesses, bros. Beginning from Jerusalem, you were witnesses of these things. And behold, listen, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. What's the promise? The Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with the Holy Spirit, with the power from on high. Right? Clothed, filled, baptized. There's all these words. What does the word baptized mean? What is it in the Greek? It's immersed. What is filled? Kind of full to the brim, right? What is clothed? I'm covered in it. Like, you know, it's like all of these words are really synonymous, 
right? It's all this stuff like the Holy Spirit's going to come, and when he comes, you're going to know it, all right? It ain't going to be like, is he here yet? I'm not sure. Is he working? I was pretty clear this morning. The Holy Spirit was working in my life. Now, depending on how you came in here and what your heart was like, you might have felt a total different way. If you're like rebelling from God and living in blatant sin, I've been there before. You might be like, dude, I didn't feel the Spirit at all. Well, yeah, you wouldn't because you grieved and quenched the Spirit. And until you repent and ask for forgiveness of your sins, you're not going to feel that Spirit again, saved or not. You know what I'm saying? Right? We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be overcome, clothed with the Holy Spirit again and again. And he's making that point here. He says, the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Peter's going, I know who wrote the Bible, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry, as in he's going to sit on, or was going to sit on, one of the 12 thrones that God said there must be because there's 12 tribes in the Old Testament. So now we have a conundrum, boys. We got 11 guys for 12 seats. Who's sitting in the 11th seat? I don't know. Well, hey, I've been studying Psalms every time we go to the temple daily. It says that in Luke, that they were doing that. And here's what I think. Now, parentheses, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. How many pieces of silver was it? 30. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of all, uh, in, in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Thank you for that before lunch. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language a caldama, which is field of blood. So I just got to say one thing about this. Because if you're a Bible scholar, or if you want to be, so that you can refute people that will unknowingly say, yeah, 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 yeah. But in Matthew, verse 27, right? Verse 27, uh, I'm looking at my notes to try to find it. Boom, there it is. Matthew 27, 5. In Matthew 27, 5, it says he hanged himself. And now it says his bowels gushed out. That's something's wrong with the Bible. That's not right, right? And then you get all these commentators who are like, okay, we got to like come up with a good story. So, so he, he, he hung himself and the pressure was really, is it medically possible? I don't know, Adam. And the pressure was really great and he just like, boom, blew up. Okay, uh, maybe. All right, and then, and then they'll say, well, hold on. He hung himself on the side of a hill and you know, the rope didn't hold. And so then it broke and then he like fell on the rocks and it like split him open. And so he burst forth and it was like, all right, we're trying really hard. All right, and I read something this week and I was like, man, that makes sense to me. I don't know if it's true or not, but I believe it, right? So it, 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 I read this, like when they were translating the Bible, King James, okay? When they're translating the Bible, the word is suicide in the text. And the way they committed suicide was to hang themselves. And so what they put in Matthew was he hung himself. But Luke, being very descriptive to how he did this, right, says, back in the day, here's how you'd kill yourself. We didn't hang ourselves. There's the cross. Remember the cross? That's how they killed us. They didn't hang us, right? There's the cross. And so how they would commit suicide, they would shove a spear into themselves and all the bowels would gush, gush out. All right, so now you know. Now you know the rest of the story. That'll help you someday when somebody goes, that's false. I don't know about the Bible. It's not true. There are discrepancies in the Bible that are very much explainable if you are willing to look. For this, for it is written in the book of the Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it, right? So speaking of Judas, and let another take his office. So he's cutting and choosing, picking and choosing the Bible a little bit. And he's like, hey, it says this, and then it says this. And so we should do this. And, uh, you know, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that the Holy Spirit's leading him. I don't know. Um, there is one side of the table that says, Nothing should be done until the Holy Spirit comes. 
Don't do anything. Sit in a room, pray. Don't do anything until God, uh, God sends the Holy Spirit. And then there's another part where it's like, truly, he knows the Holy Spirit. He's, he's saying the Holy Spirit's leading us. The, the Holy Spirit gave us the scriptures. The Holy Spirit, you know what I mean? So there's both and, and I think we can wrestle in the tension. So, verse 21, are you there? I've been reading a long time. I'm going to get to the point here in a second, but let's just keep going because it's just the facts, okay? So one of the men who have accompanied us during all of the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from, this is really critical information. When did Jesus' ministry start? Beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, right? So the day he ascended, right? Which we just read. One of these men, whoever meets those qualifications, must become with us a witness to his resurrection. We need a 12th guy to fill the throne, okay? And they put forward to Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice. He has a lot of names. Don't pick him, all right? <laughs> like, just, just, like, that's too many names, all right? Like, don't pick him, all right? And then Matthias. Okay, we'll pick him. And, and but what are they going to do? And they, what did they do? You might want to circle that in your Bible. And they made a decision or they took a vote or they whatever. No, they prayed. They said, God, what do you want? How do you do this? All right. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two men you have chosen to take the place of the ministry, this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. I think that's a really key verse. You know, there's people that turn aside from Jesus Christ. They choose to go to hell. There's people that turn aside. They were like, I don't want that. I understand the truth. There's people probably in the service today that'll do that. I pray not. But that will turn aside. The Bible's very clear. You have a choice. God is sovereign, yes, but you do have a choice. And Judas chose to turn aside. And they cast lots. That's interesting. For them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. All right, now you're like, Lots. That's great. This is the last time Lots is ever going to be used in the Bible because the Holy Spirit's coming in like a couple verses real quick, and that's it, okay? But I brought my Lots today, okay? So Lots are like this there's uh, white. And there's black. And they might have used stone. They might have wrote one name of the guy on one stone and one name of the guy on the other stone and then, and then just put them in a bag and shook them out, whatever one fell to the ground. But, but they would use dice and they would shake them out and they're like, black, blacks, no. Black, whites, try again. And white, whites, go. Okay, you got it? So let's just do it. Is it Matthias? Is it Matthias? I'm not sure. All right. And they roll the dice and it's like, oh, black, white, do it again. All right. And they go, you know, this is, must've been a fun game. They, oh, do it again. I was like, how many times is this going to take? All right. And then they roll it again. They're like, white, white, it's Matthias. All right. It's Matthias. It's Matthias. Matthias, you're the king. Like you're going to, you're, you're the guy, right? It's like, this is awesome. Thank you, Lord. You spoke. And that's how they handled it. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we do that in dumb ways, right? Sometimes we're like, God, what do you want? Go, do you want? I'm just going to like flow it up, throw out a fleece or I'm going to like test you, right? As evidenced by my own doing that this morning, I was sitting of the worship team's like, what were you doing with those dice? I was like, am I going to use this illustration or not? God, <laughs> God, tell me if I should use this illustration or not. It's not really part of the message, but tell me, I mean, it's, it's going to be a little color. Like, tell me. Like black, white. Oh man, come on, God. Tell me if I'm going to use it. Black, white. Come on, God. Same thing just happened today. I think we're on a roll. All right. And then, and then white, white. Yeah, you should use it. Okay. I used it. Thank you, Lord. I mean, but seriously, the comfort of the power of the Holy Spirit and the clarity of the word of God and the clarity of waiting in prayer to hear from God what he wants to do. And when he doesn't tell you specifically what you should do, then use biblical wisdom and go that direction and God will direct you. Okay, we clear? All right, let me just give you real quickly uh, the application of this because uh, you know, right or wrong, what they did here at the end, uh, some say Paul was the guy that's going to sit on the 12th throne, blah, 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 I don't care, all right? When you get to heaven, you'll find out, I care about whether you're going to heaven or not, all right? We're good with that? All right, cool. Well, I'll find out there, uh, right or wrong, this is what happened, so what can we learn, 
and apply to our lives today. Okay, and I've got three things really quickly. The title of the message is really wait for it because we're waiting at this point in chapter one for the power of the Holy Spirit to show up. All right, now we know if we're believers in Jesus Christ that I'm no longer waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in me, right? It's in me. And that's pretty cool. But some of you might be in this room and you might be waiting for it. And so I'm praying that God will unveil your eyes right now and that you'll see the power of the Holy Spirit come into your life right now by faith, okay? So here it is. Uh, With that being said, we also were filled with the Holy Spirit once, right? But we want to be filled again today and tomorrow and the next day. So it's not like all in, all done. Let's go home. I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I've been washed in baptism. I've done it spiritually and physically and I'm I'm ready to go. Let's just go go home. We're done. We're done. Like, no, because he keeps coming back and saying what? Why does the Holy Spirit come at all? Let's answer all these questions now, okay? So here's the first thing. Really important principle for us. We will receive power from the Holy Spirit. Wait for it. Wait for it again today. Folks, wait for it again today. We will receive power and the power is coming from the Holy Spirit. Did you know this is a receiving thing? This isn't a go out and grab it thing. It's a receiving thing, right? You receive the Spirit. God gives it to you when he wants to give it to you. Your job is to go, thank you, Lord, right? And so your job is to go, I want that. Please, please give that to me. Bring it, Lord, okay? And when you do, I'm just going to honor you, and I'm just going to do what he says, okay? So we receive it, okay? We receive it. Um, You could read John uh, chapters 14 through 16. Uh, Just write that in your margin. John 14 through 16, that's some of Jesus' best teaching on the Holy Spirit, because he's already told them so much about the Holy Spirit. So when they're waiting to receive the Holy Spirit, he's already said, this is what's going to happen. This is, he's going to teach you all things that I've said, and he's going to bring to mind what I've told you, right? So we receive, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? I think that'd be a good answer. How do we receive it? By faith. By faith. Okay? God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. And I believe that his blood is the payment for my sin. I believe I'm washed clean. I'm a new creature. God, and I believe that you then, through that, since you've washed me, can now indwell me with your Holy Spirit. That you send me the covering, the washing of the blood, and then you send me the Holy Spirit to fill me and to guide me so that I'll be a new creature. Right? That's the gospel. Has God ever done that in your life? That's how we receive the Holy Spirit, through faith in Christ, in the plan that God has for us. So how do we show or practice our faith? Well, some people did that last week in baptism, right? And we worship, don't we, Harvest? And we walk, don't we, Harvest? At small groups sometimes, right? And we work for Christ, right? And we, above all, since the text says this, we witness, right? When the Holy Spirit comes and we receive him, he comes for one primary reason, and that is for us to witness, to be bold for him. What does the power of the Holy Spirit look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. I hope you'll come back next week in the next seven weeks and see more and more of the power, okay? Please. But what does it look like? Let me tell you just quickly. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. He fills He guarantees, he guards, he helps, he illuminates us, and he opens your eyes. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't have faith in him, ask him to open your eyes and to illuminate you. He empowers, he indwells, he intercedes, he produces fruit, he provides spiritual character, he regenerates, he is the work at salvation to regenerate, to wash you clean. He restrains and convicts us of sin, he sanctifies, he seals, and he teaches us. He is the very signs and miracles that we will see, and, and, he's the soft-spoken voice that will convict you of that sin that you need to get rid of. He's all of that. And he's powerful, like dynamite. It's pretty cool. So, got to ask you, do you have the power? Do you have the power of the Holy Spirit? The, the, the thing is, the point is, we will receive, right? Have you received it? 
Are you willing to receive it again today? Are you even asking God? Are you waiting on God in that way, saying, God, I want the power again today. I want the power again today. I want to walk in strength again today. It wasn't just yesterday. I need him again today. I'm dependent on you, God. Are you using the power, right? It's one thing to prance around and say, I got the power. I got the power. It's like, ah! Stop talking and show me that you have the power. Work for Christ in the power and see God do awesome things through you, right? Are you using the power in a God-intended way? It's really good stuff. All right, the second thing, we will be witnesses of Jesus Christ. I kind of already preached this, but you look at verse eight, the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's the thing. Why does the power come? So the gospel can get out. Why were the miracles so strong? Because the crowd gathered. If I could perform a miracle right now, do you think more people would be here next week? Yes. But then if I couldn't do it next week, it'd be a problem, wouldn't it? Right? Miracles aren't on demand. Miracles are to draw a crowd. Miracles are like, get some people over there. I'm going to get the gospel out right now. Right? And I pray for miracles. And I've seen miracles in my own life. And most of the time it's been to tell somebody about Christ. You wouldn't believe what God did in my life. Here it is. Boom. <laughs> like, this is amazing. And it's to get the gospel out. So when God brings the power of the Holy Spirit, he has one thing, one goal, one mission in mind, that we would be witnesses, that we would be bold. We just spent a week on that, Unafraid Witness. You can go listen to it online. Unafraid Witness. Go listen to that message online a couple weeks ago. Share the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. So where should we witness? Again, where should we witness? Here, in Rochester, Minnesota, in your neighborhood, right? There, somebody else's neighborhood, uh, around the uh, United States or in the state of Minnesota, I'm, I'm kind of focused on Madison, Wisconsin. We have a really good opportunity to plant a church in Madison, Wisconsin right now. Would you pray? Church, would you pray? Write it down. Would you pray and join me in praying that God would bring people about in Madison, Wisconsin? We got a couple people that might be interested. We got guys in the training center. I think we could coach that church. I think it'd be really cool. But I can't manufacture that and I can't do it. But if we pray that God will do it, guess what? I believe he will. That's there. And then everywhere, right? Everywhere. Throughout the whole world, right? Throughout the whole world. Uh, we went to Jamaica last year, right? And uh, we want to see a, pl a church planted in Jamaica. Now we want whatever God wants. And we're willing to go wherever God leads us. But would you pray with us for the Caribbean and for Jamaica? These are places that we're focused on until God leads us elsewhere or God gives us an open opportunity there. All right? This is good information for you, church. Witness means martyr. I just got to end with that little part on this point. Witness means martyr. Do you know what a martyr is? It's a person that dies for what they believe in. So literally, to be a witness means to be a martyr. It's the same Greek word. Are we willing to lay down our life for our faith in Jesus Christ? Because that's what he's asking us to do. And when the power comes, I believe we are willing because we're in awe of who he is. This last thing, now how do we apply this truth to our church and to my life right now this week? All right, so let's get really specific. We will wait in prayer for God to move. Do we need God to move, church? Do we need to see him show up in a, a building maybe opportunity for us? In a church planting opportunity for us? In a whatever's next for your church, God, opportunity for us? Do we need him to show up? We need him. We need him to move. And the way they did that, look at verse 14. All these were, uh, all these with one accord, with one mind literally, were devoting themselves that's persistent, that's perseverance. I'm not going to quit. It's consistent um, themselves to prayer together. We will wait in prayer for God to move. Jesus ordered them to wait in verse four for the promise of the Holy Spirit. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit. So what are we waiting for? The Holy Spirit to show up again today because we want him to. And what else are we waiting for? Be clear with me, church. What are we waiting for? The return of Christ, 
right? Sometimes when we get together in prayer, we're just like, Jesus, come back. Save us from this crooked generation. We need you, God. If you won't save me, help me to endure, right? Let that be the saving grace. And help me to be a light, God, in this dark place. We pray that, right? Not many days. How many days? So it was 40 days from the resurrection to when he ascended, and it was 50 days to Pentecost. How many days? Math. Okay, 40 days from the resurrection to ascension, 50 days Pentecost. So what's the difference here? 40, 50. I'm thinking 10. You're pretty good at math, John. 10? 10. Okay, good. 10. I'm going with 10. All right, so 10 days. Not many days from now this is going to happen, but pray and wait. Don't wait like this. Wait like this, right? Don't wait like this. Wait like this, right? Going about your business, being, you know, being ready to do the work. Go to the temple, worship, right? That's what they did, right? In 10 days they did it. Here, let me give you some things. Waiting is not, it's not wanting my own agenda or timing. You know, a lot of people get on the end times theology and they want to get all about that and like, oh, I know what time it is and it's coming closer. And blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, get to work. Get to work. We're here to make disciples. Get to work. Stop fussing about the end and get after the mission, right? It'll come. You'll know when it is. The Bible says that. When the time comes, you'll know it. But, but for now, just get after it. And then people get fussing about gifts. Well, I have gifts and I want to use them this way. And they got to be, it's like, dude, get off of your own agenda. Get onto God's thing. That's not waiting on God. And then positions. I mean, again, I, I don't even want to go there. All right. Then waiting is not wasting time looking up. I think I've beat that up already. It's not, is it time yet? Is it time now? 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 Soon? Soon? Huh? Huh? It's like, we have some work to do. Let's get going. Let's go do the work. God will let us know when it's time. That's waiting. And waiting is not wandering off from the mission. Okay? Don't take your focus off of making disciples. Whatever you do, do not take your focus off of making disciples. Whatever else might be distracting you this week, whatever else might be in your life, circumstance or whatnot, that's getting your eyes and attention, Bring it back. Bring it back to him. All right? How are we going to do that as a church? Well, here's how we're going to do it. Look at these three things. We pray, and we pray dependently. Dependently. We, the word I would use out of the text is wait. We wait on him every day because we're dependent for him every day. I can't do anything. I can't preach. I can't be, be doing anything without God. I'm waiting on him. Right? I'm waiting. God, is this what I should do? I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you in prayer. Tell me what's true. Tell me what I should do. I got to make a decision, God. Let's go, you know? And we wait on him dependently to receive the power, to be witnesses, and to pray that God will move. We believe in him in prayer. And then this next thing, persistently. The word devoted is persistently. It's dependently, teach me, Lord, but it's persistently. Today again, God, today again, show up. I'm going to need you. What do you want me to do again, God? Today, consistency, consistency in asking, not just dependently, but persistently. And then this, together, corporately, right? So it's dependently, it's persistently, and it's corporately. They were together, they were unified in the Lord, and they were focused on the Lord. They had one mind, and the mind was Christ. We're all about you, God, that's what we want, just you. All right, now, I'm not assuming everybody in the room is of the same mind right now. I'm just not. Some of you like the Vikings. Some of you like the Bears. Some of you like the Packers. Some of you guys are going to watch one of those games today. I hope none of your games are at 7 o'clock tonight because I'm praying that I can get you on the same mind right now. We've been saying this for a few weeks now that we're going to have a devoted to prayer time 7 o'clock every night starting tonight and going through next Tuesday. Do you understand? Devoted to prayer. Is our church devoted to prayer? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. And why 10 nights? Um, 40, 50, 10. Okay, 10. And then how many people do you want there, Steve? I want you all there. But I'm going to be disappointed. I mean, seriously. 
I'm still going to pray like crazy, but I'm going to be disappointed if there's not 120 people there, right? In a church of 450 people, if we can't find 120 people who want to come pour their guts out to God dependently, persistently, night after night for 10 nights, right? Corporately together, then we've got nothing. We, I'm not even sure what we have, but we got, we got nothing, right? So 120 people at the church office. If you've been there, you're like, that won't even hold 120. I know. The upper room was tight too, all right? Am I clear in what I'm asking you? I know you, I know you might have to fly out of town. I'm, I know you might have stuff to do. I know you might have a game you want to watch, right? Uh, you can correct that thinking, all right? If you're not working, if you're not doing something really, really, really more important than prayer, important. Change your schedule tonight, the next several nights, right? And be there when you can, because when you can be there, our church needs you to be there to get to 120 people. Do you understand? We'll have helps for you to pray. We're going to pray straight from the Bible. We're going to get after it in prayer. We're going to be dependent and persistent and corporate in our prayer. Do we understand? Church, I am calling to you to something so difficult. Are you ready? Are you able? Do you want to see God move in our church like he's never moved before? Because we will wait in prayer for God to move or he will not move. We will wait in prayer for God to move. And this is just how your leaders are calling you to do that. All right? It'll continue. We'll wait on God in prayer Sunday mornings. And we'll wait before, after, and during service. We'll wait on God in prayer at small group for 20 to 30 minutes every whatever night you meet. We'll wait on in prayer ongoing. Hopefully you do that personally too. But we're going to do it corporately for 10 nights. Just got to put you on the spot. How many of you guys would be willing to say, I'll be there at 7 tonight? I need 120. All right? We're not going to get there unless 11 o'clock is really committed. <laughs> if, you didn't, if you weren't able to raise your hand, think about it. We need you. All right? We need you. Let's get 120 people there and let's pray. You're like, when's it done? Whenever God says it's done. Right? Whenever you have to leave. Seven o'clock. All right? Seven o'clock tonight. I'll see you there. We're going to pray like we've never prayed before. Let's pray right now. Father, your word is strong and powerful. And your servant has spoken long. I pray that that would not be a detriment to the Holy Spirit working in the lives of our people. Your people, God. Let me just be clear. They're your people. I pray that you would move in their hearts and lives right now. That much prayer would happen even now as we leave. That we would wait on you in prayer. I know there's situations, there's troubles, there's trials in each of their lives. But they need you for God. And may they do this one thing. May they wait on you in prayer for you to move, God. God, we love you. We want to see you high and lifted up. We want to see big things in this church, Lord. Not for our own glory, for your glory. But it will be good when it happens. And God, we've already seen so much. You've done so much. We, we are not un, un, unsatisfied or discontent with what you have done, God. We just know that you're dynamic, that you're powerful. And then as we open our hearts and lives and submit to you, that you'll do more and more through your power of your Holy Spirit in us and through us. So God, we wait on you and we ask you to do more than we could ask or think in the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus Christ's name, amen.